The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with grace, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the reading of God's word. Hope this isn't too much of a transition for you. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for the people of God. We thank you for our Redeemer the Lord Jesus, who with his own blood purchased us. <clears throat> According to Peter, we weren't purchased with chump chains like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gathering of saints on Sundays. Uh, we thank you for the time when we get together and collectively make much of Christ. What we do in private, personally and individually, we also like to do publicly. And collectively, as a people, would you get glory? And would you use this time to strengthen your people and bring glory to yourself? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Philippians chapter 1. It's been read. Um, and uh, either flip to it or turn it on and meet me there. We live in some interesting times, to say the least. Uh, we are in... Times where people have recognized that we need someone who is able to rally us together. And the question is, who will rally us and around what will they rally us? Uh, these are, this is a day where people want answers. We're divided. We need someone to form a partnership. We need someone who will bring people who are not together together. This is something that the culture is up on. Perhaps you are familiar with Iron Man, Captain America, the Hulk, Thor, and Black Widow for all my sisters. Don't want to leave you all out. <clears throat> you know these individual juggernaut of superheroes. Possibly, if you're a comic book buff, you probably know all of the ins and outs. But the rest of us, we didn't know much about these individuals until they came together as a band under the banner of the Avengers Perhaps you're familiar with the Avengers. All of them recognize that they are powerful in their own uh, lane, but they are not what they are when they come together as individuals. 
you know, the bad guys got in on this. And so another movie came out, Suicide Squad. And this is a band of villains, super villains who were asked to come together to face a threat that they could not achieve victory over individually. The NBA is even on this. The NBA loves to have people go get with other people. And nobody wants to bear the weight of having to be the thing you build the team around. They look for ready-made situations, just as Kevin Durant. Um, I mean, Memphis would never do that. I mean, y'all just cough up the 150 mil and, you know, all of that is settled. <laughs> um, uh, but shout out to the Grizzlies. Um, but, but this idea of partnership is something that the culture has already let us know is a, is a real thing. And yet it's not it's the cultural affirmation we're looking for. The fact that the culture has acknowledged the beauty and the strategic nature of partnership. We want to know, is it theological before we jump on board? And today the scriptures would build the case that there's something theological about the human race and the people of God in particular being made for partnership. Rallied by Christ, rallied around what? Gospel. And so our text today is actually a text that advocates rallying because of Christ around his gospel. And so we're going to look at it and just walk through it. Let's start with the beginning. The value of gospel partnerships. The value of gospel partnerships. Paul starts this off from the beginning, and he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. As a teacher of the New Testament, one of the things that I've been doing is growing encouraged at how even the intros we run past are actually packed and pregnant with things that we need for our Christian life and our perspective Look what he says, Paul, Timothy, I often notice Paul is the big wig and Timothy is just his son. Yet Paul believes in partnership to the point where when he writes scripture, he brings a partner in on the act. We see this with Paul, including Timothy in the writing of scripture, Silas in the writing of scripture, even a man by the name of Sosthenes in the writing when he wrote to the, le- the letter to those at Corinth. Paul believes in the partnership and you see it right in the beginning to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with overseers and with deacons. Now he shows us that the church is God's grand partnership where we have the saints who are not just saints, but the saints are together with they're with deacons. They're with overseers. And then he says, all of us are with God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the partnership. He values this. We see it right in the intro. But then he goes on. And he begins to thank God because of his valuing gospel partnerships. So look at verse three. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. Paul recognizes the invaluable nature of a gospel partnership. 
a gospel partnership. This is what we call the thanksgiving section of a letter. All New Testament or the letters during the New Testament times were written like this. It's called the convention of a letter. It's like us. We start letters off, dear Susan, even if Susan isn't dear to us. We just start letters that way, dear Susan. We end it, sincerely yours, branch. Even if I'm not sincere, that's how I would write the letter, because it's called the convention. That's the way you write letters. Oh, in much the same way, we see that this is the way people during this time wrote letters. Paul uses the convention, but he doesn't always thank people for the exact same things. So when he has a thank you section, this is the only time he loads the thanksgiving section up with thanks for their partnership in the gospel. In other words, Paul values gospel partnership. And then you see it in his language during this section. He really lays it on thick. In verse 4, I thank God when I pray. It says, always, verse 4, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He says, I don't just pray. When I pray, I think about you. When I think about you, I put a smile comes on my face. He says, because I'm thinking about you in relationship to you being one of those people I can trust to partner up with me in this thing called gospel. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Listen to the affection. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and my defense. One writer rightly noted that he often, with the exception of a couple of letters, stresses his apostleship. He wants people to listen to him based on his authority. Here, no mention of his apostleship. He writes to them as a friend who has them in his heart because he values them because Paul values gospel partnership. Even in verse eight, you're going to see it. God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, his affection, his joy, his remembrance, his thanks is for people that have partnered with him in this thing called gospel. He values gospel partnerships. What excites you? What's the basis of your friendships? What's the basis of your relationships? What's the basis of your partnerships? Who's in your favorites? Who are the people that come to mind when you're in prayer? Are they just people that give you personal benefit? Are there people who come to your mind and you're thinking about how the gospel gets benefit? Ever since I got with that person, the gospel has benefited. This is what Paul values, gospel partnerships. May God's people value gospel partnerships. But let's look, not just valuing the partnership, but let's look at a biblical view of gospel partnership. I'm just using the term. Let's unpack it. Well, the partnership comes from this Greek word called koinonia. Koinonia. Koinonia is a word that captures at least two things. Partaking in something in common, sharing in something in common, and participating in something in common. So it's partaking of it, and then it's participating it. It's benefiting from its effect on you, then participating in the advance of it through you. It's the person who encounters something, and then they become an advocate of what they've encountered. It's not just generic. This is a Pauline concept and it shows up in the Bible. At least 19 times you see it in the New Testament. 13 of those times, Paul uses it. 
Paul, he was into this thing called, he says, we have something in common. It takes people who were not rallied around the same thing and rallies them around the same thing. What is it? It's the gospel. He says your partnership in the gospel. Another word that Paul likes to use out of the 70 plus times that it's in the New Testament, 60 of them come from Paul. Paul was into the gospel. In the book of Romans, he called himself, he says, I'm one set apart for the gospel. In this very letter, it comes up at least nine times. And at least nine times in this letter, he talks about the gospel. The gospel. And he says, the gospel is our rallying point. I'm into the gospel and I'm into people who are into the gospel because he values it. And this is a biblical view. In this letter, it starts with you receiving the gospel before you then give it. One person has rightly noted that the gospel is first an act. It's the act of God. It's what God has done even before it's the message we preach. Uh, Oh, get this. People will not trust the gospel because you let them down or I let them down. People will say, I don't believe in the gospel because the church let me down. Before the gospel is something that the church displays or something that the church declares, the gospel is something that God did. So one says the gospel is an act of redemption before it's our proclamation of it. Paul says, I want you to rally around something that God has done, not around its benefits firstly. But then I'm going to talk to you about this gospel and its benefits. So in this very letter, we're going to see that the gospel is something he proclaims. He gets excited. He says, gospel partners don't just buy into the message. They buy into the mission. They don't just receive the effects. They join in its advance. Says it's something you protect. You get out all your logical arguments and you go on the corner and you reason with people about the reasonableness of the gospel after you just proclaim the trueness of the gospel. He says in verse seven, you were with me when I defended and confirmed the gospel. It's something that you want to see spread. You wave the aroma of gospel. He said in verse 12, he says, you know, my chains I've been hindered from being able to go, but guess what? I'm not upset because the gospel is not chained because I am. I love when the gospel is advanced, even when I can't. It's something that's lived. He goes on to say, live a life that's in concert with the gospel. Because Paul believes not only in partnership, he believes in partnerships that are rallied around this thing we have called gospel. Is that who you have in your squad of people? Do you rally with saints who not only have received the gospel personally, but invest in the gospel corporately? Have you come here because you just like a preaching about the gospel? Or have you come here because you like the even like the people who come here who like the preaching of the gospel? He says, I thank God for you, not just for The word, he says, I thank God for the people of the gospel, not just the idea of proclamation of the gospel. And so, there's a man, you might have heard of him, especially in this 
Christian tradition, Abraham Kuyper. He was known for stressing that the church is both the gathered church and the scattered church. That when you come here, you're with the church in a very robust and visible way. But when we scatter, we look to show people what difference gathering makes. He says this. All Christians living in the world who have been discipled and equipped to bring the gospel to bear on all of life. We should not think of Christians out in the world as merely distinct and attached individuals. They are the body of Christ, the church. As Christians in the world, they are still to think and work together, banding together in creative forms. Being the church organic that the church institutional has discipled them to be. In other words, when we come to your job, we should still be able to trace that you are the church. When we go to your school, we should still be able to trace that you are the church. Paul says, I get excited about people who we come together, gospel, and when we break huddle, gospel. He's thanking God for it. And his view is this is what God has called us to. And it's enough to put a smile on your face, even though he's writing this from prison. The Philippians in this letter stood out in Paul's because they had joined him. They joined him in prayer. They joined him in provision. They joined him in support. They stood with him when it would be a shame to stand with somebody who was in prison. This is what we're after. People who rally around these things and form their partnerships based on gospel and not other things that may be peripheral to the gospel. Which leads to verse 6, where you get to see that there's a volatile nature with gospel partnerships. Now, I'm going to read a verse. You probably heard it before, but you probably have heard it always out of its context. Look what he says after he says, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Most of us hear that and we just think that's a random talk about our sanctification, that one day we're going to be complete in Christ. This is put here because he understands the shakiness of gospel relationships. In fact, this letter is written because there's threat to the unity of the faith. So he's going to talk about living worthy of the gospel so that your opponents, which are threatening you, will see you standing side by side contending for the gospel. Chapter two, he's going to say, let nothing be done out of conceit or selfish ambition. And he's going to go into what we call the kenosis, the self-emptying of Jesus who gave up everything in order to come down here and secure our salvation. He's basically saying gospel partnerships need a certain kind of commitment because they're easily fractured. Another thing is this letter is written on Paul's second missionary journey. The first missionary journey was with a man named Barnabas. This one is with a man named Silas and Timothy. Well, this is where he's saying, I know firsthand that the guy I was running with during the first missionary journey, he and I had a falling out. We're not running together anymore. I asked a friend of mine, I said, I'm going to be talking about partnerships. Got any insight for me? He said, yeah, just remind them how quickly they can go south. Partners that you were with for 10 years on the 11th year can go left. He says, I'm convinced 
that God will sustain this relationship. I'm not convinced because of how committed you are to the relationship. I'm committed because he who begins the good work is faithful to complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Basically, what he's saying is gospel relationships are shaky. So you have to beware. Later on, he's going to urge them, help two people who don't agree to agree in the Lord. Because these relationships need help. I stand here today as somebody who started with a lot of friends, church planners, rappers. We all agreed it was going to be one thing. Many years later, we're all over the map. Many of us not in relationship or not at least on mission together anymore. Philosophies have changed. Our desires have changed. Our ambitions have changed. Volatile nature of gospel partnerships. But I'm convinced of this. The one who begins the work is faithful to complete it. Hmm. So valuing gospel partnerships, the biblical view of gospel partnerships, the volatile nature of gospel partnerships, and now the key to vibrant gospel partnerships. Look what he goes on to say, verse 7, all the way to 11. We'll piece it up. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. First of all, what you need for gospel partnerships, vibrant ones, is for everybody to recognize that we're all recipients of grace. Nobody deserves this. Nobody deserves a good and robust church experience. Nobody deserves to have the church of their dreams. Nobody deserves to have the eternal life that God gives freely. We are recipients of grace. And Paul says, so I went to prayer when I think about you, praying that like for you and feeling good about you because you are a partaker of grace. And that's what we're going to need for these relationships. I love it. Because who is it that stands firm for the gospel other than people who have received that gospel? And received it by grace through faith and know that anybody who's to my right or my left may also be recipients of that same grace. I like what Paul says to Philemon in that letter. He says, Philemon, don't forget you owe me yourself. Perhaps the reason why Onesimus cut out on you and offended you was so he could run into the grace of God, then be brought back so you could display the grace of God. You never know who's going to wind up in this train station or wherever you all go ultimately or are. You never know. God could bring them here and remind you of what you looked like when you first came. And what I looked like when we first came. And then tell both of us, both of you are dependent on my grace. Yeah, but not only grace, love. He begins to keep on praying. He says, listen, verse 8, For God is my witness how I yearn with you all for the, expect, the, the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Gospel partnerships are dependent on God producing in us a love, a love for the person who doesn't look like us, who's not from the same side of the tracks, of, tracks as us, because this is the great apologetic of the church. It's clear Dems and Republicans don't love each other. It's clear the blue lives and the black lives are struggling with each other. It's clear that there's all kinds of fractions and division. So where will people look? It's clear. It's not going to be in the president-elect or the last president. Where? They're going to look to the church. But unfortunately, he says, so I'll pray about it. 
I pray that God will cause love to abound. And anytime people pray about it, they believe we can't muster it up. Anytime you pray, it's an acknowledgement you don't just have it. Who prays for what they could just get up and do? He says, I pray that God will cause a love that we can't explain so that you begin to love people who have the gospel in common, even if they don't have skin color in common. Who have the gospel in common, even if they don't have status in common. Even if they don't have salary in common. This is what he had to pray for because the church is abnormal. It's a work of the spirit. And the spirit puts together people who don't make sense outside of the gospel is our rallying point. Oh, yeah, my God. And he says this love should be accompanied with something. Look what he says. With all knowledge and all discernment, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Note John Stott, his comments on this. Nothing perhaps is more harmful than the easy good nature which is willing to tolerate everything. And this is often mistaken for the Christian frame of mind. Love must fasten itself on the things which are worth loving, and it cannot do so unless it is wisely directed. He basically is saying, we're not saying just go out and just love indiscriminate. We're saying love with discernment and wisdom. Love what's lovable. The Bible says, cling to what's good and abhor what's evil. We sat around the table last night and we began to talk. And we said the Bible gives us actually a picture of what it looks like when you encounter certain sins. The Bible says that righteous people should be vexed when this is the norm. People won't let you do that. They'll say that's not loving. He says, no, I pray that you will abound with love, but I pray it will be with discernment. Every now and then I run into a grandmother who finds out that or a mother or a father who finds out that I like hip hop when it's Christian. I do me personally when Christ is the sinner. And so then they say, hey, I have a son. I'm trying to love on him and he wants me to go with him to his shows and his shows are in the club and in the club. You know, I can't really tolerate it, but I want to love him. I say, you don't have to go there. That's not necessarily love. May God give you discernment to know what love looks like and what it doesn't look like. We're not just flinging the doors open. We're loving with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Oh, we don't have time to unpack it. But may our love be connected with discernment. And this will result in God glorifying tangible deeds. Because look what he says in verse 11. To the glory and praise of God... Filled with the fruit, you know what fruit is, the tangibleness of what a tree's nature is. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. When the life of Christ is in his people, we produce a certain kind of tangible fruit, tangible action. So he's praying that the tangibleness will show up to the glory and the praise of God. Let's put this back together. Paul starts off by showing you he values gospel partnerships. Doesn't say that to any other letter, but says it here. Paul shows you that he has a biblical view of gospel partnerships because he believes in koinonia, partaking of the gospel and participating in the gospel. And this gospel is the act of God even before it's the proclamation of mankind. 
But then he tells us it's volatile, so he has to pray that my confidence will be in the God who can sustain a good relationship that's surrounding the gospel. And then he goes on to talk about what we need for the vibrant gospel partnership. So as I close, how do we pursue gospel partnerships? First, you have to partake of it. If you're not a Christian in here, we are glad you're here and we pray that you will understand that the gospel is what God has done. Again, don't let how we've made it look bad deter you from trusting in Christ and receiving his good news. The good news is that you and I were broken and unfixable in and of ourselves. The good news is that God saw us when we were sinners and yet didn't wait for us to be righteous before he sent a remedy for our sins. The good news is that God saw you when you were on at your worst and he gave his best, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says freely he offers to switch the righteousness of Christ for the unrighteousness of the person who would come to him acknowledging that unrighteousness and trusting in what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says that's the gospel. It's good news when the sinner knows that their sins should keep them away from God, but God has sacrificed his son in order to bring you together to God. Oh, that's good news. So first partake of it. You want to... Every now and then you see them selling workout equipment and it'll be some super muscle bound man selling you rubber bands. You're like, you're like, you want me to think that those muscles came from him using those rubber bands? (laughs) You tricked me, huh? But may we look like we've been using the gospel, that the gospel has already partaken it before you can do the next thing. And that's prize the gospel. Prize the gospel. Who pride? You gotta want, you gotta like this thing. God can produce in you a passion for the gospel. This is what Paul had. Again, which is why the word gospel shows up so much in his literature. Because Paul had a passion for the gospel. And Paul was the type to say, even when I, though I'm in chains for the gospel, I'm not mad because my chains have actually helped the gospel. He's ever since people saw me in chains for the gospel, they know the gospel is something to treasure. So they've been emboldened to actually share it. So now all of Caesar's household has heard the gospel because I'm on lockdown because of the gospel. Only when you prize the gospel can you think like that. Later on, he says, and some people actually got a hold of the right gospel thinking they were going to trouble me. They started preaching the gospel. And guess what I said? I know they got bad motives, but they actually have the right gospel. In this, I rejoice because he prizes the gospel. But then pray for the gospel. You can partner in prayer. I love the story about Charles Spurgeon, who met unannounced incognito. He introduced himself to some college students who were here to see the famous Charles Spurgeon. So a man came and said, hey, you want to see the, the, what heats this place up? It was a hot July, so they weren't interested But they didn't want to offend him, so they said, okay, let's go with this stranger and let's go see what heats this place up. He takes them downstairs and called it the boiler room. He said, hey, here is the heating plant. This is our heating plant. And when he opened the door, he saw 700 members, workers who were praying for God's special blessing on that service. Then he closed the door quietly and introduced himself as Mr. Spurgeon himself. He says, I know some people partner with us by just laboring in prayer during the proclamation of this gospel. You can partner with the gospel in prayer and then prioritize the gospel. You see that in this letter, 
verse 21 to 26, he says, I want to go to heaven and be with Jesus because that's better. But for your sake, it's needful for me to stay. So guess what? I'm okay with staying. To live is Christ. Yep, gain. To die is gain. Excuse me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I've so prioritized the gospel over me that if I have to live, well, I'd rather live on this side of the tracks, but for your sake, I need to live on this side of the tracks. He said, I'd rather be with Jesus, but for you, your sake, I'll be with you. He says, I'd rather make this kind of money, but in order to be an effective witness, I'll make this kind of money. We could go on for days saying, I would, but for the gospel's sake, I will. May the Lord give you a value for the gospel that makes you say, I would, but. For the gospel's sake, I will. Huh. Later on, he shows you four people. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm so sorry. Let me just say this. Maybe a couple, just give me a couple extra minutes. Because I teach New Testament, right? So I'm usually talking to college students who are looking at me like, what? And so now I'd rather talk to church people looking at me like, what? <laughs> Listen. Then he goes on to give you four people who live out what it looks like to prioritize the gospel. First, he says, me. I told you, I don't mind my chains. Then he goes to chapter two and he says, Jesus, who's God, but left being celebrated as God, made himself of no reputation and came down and humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross, the worst kind of death. He says he did this in order to give us a mindset that we should have, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Though he's God, he didn't cash in on being God, but humbled himself and gave it all up for somebody else, which was us. Then he goes on to say, and then there's a man by the name of Epaphras. Epaphras is on lock with me. And Epaphras can tell you because he almost lost his life because of the gospel. And then he said, and then there's Timothy. Timothy has the interests of Christ in mind. I couldn't even send anybody else who cares about you out of their care about him. Four people who live out what it means to prioritize the gospel. Then persist in the gospel. Persist in the gospel. Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 27, he says, live like you're a citizen in a place where gospel is the norm. That word live worthy of the gospel is live like you're a citizen of. Live like you're a citizen of a place where gospel is the way. Oh, don't just have a gospel moment here and a gospel moment there. Live like this is your life. Live worthy of the gospel, which is to live as though the gospel is the way. And then lastly, press in the gospel. Press the gospel in. Yeah, I was looking for another P, so that's why this is a clumsy way to just say. Make sure that your gospel shows up in the various scenarios that come across your path. This letter is written because the church is starting to live inconsistently with the gospel. Paul writes a letter. He says, bring the gospel to bear on this moment. Paul, when he wrote the letter to Philemon about a slave named Onesimus, he says, to deal with slavery, we need to get Onesimus and Philemon on the same page. The world would know that slavery is what it is when Philemon, the slave owner, deals rightly with Onesimus and stops treating him like a slave but a brother. He says, you want to deal with segregation? <laughs> he says, look. Paul in Galatians wrote them and said, one day I saw Peter starting to segregate. He says, and I jammed him up because he was not living in step with the gospel. 
press the gospel into the various scenarios that you run and come in contact with. And then lastly, provide for the gospel. This letter is a letter commending them for finally sending him financial support for gospel ministry. This is why he said, I thank God for you. You pray for me. You provide for me. You're pressing. You're persisting. Gospel partnerships. Gospel partnerships. May God stir up in us a desire to make this the kind of church that we are. Churches that value them. Churches that have a biblical view of them. Churches that understand we must preserve the unity because they're volatile. And then that apply grace, love, and discernment so we can have vibrant gospel partnerships. Let's pray. Who are we, Father? People your gospel has encountered. You've changed us. If there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, may what's happened to us happen to them. May they see their need for a Savior. May they hear about what you've already done to accomplish. May they trust you that they may be recipients of the impact of that good news. Bless this church. Allow this church to perpetuate the gospel way, not just on Sundays, but as a way of life. These things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.